Alma Homes is an award-winning custom home builder out of Minnesota. Today we're sitting down with its owner, Kirsten Danielle, to interview her on a variety of topics, but primarily I wanted her opinion and advice on the selections process, which we know is just innately messy, murky, prone to issues. So I wanted to get her take on that. We also talked a little bit about design, design trends, that kind of stuff. This is the third in our series of interviews featuring women leaders in the industry. So be sure to check those out. And also, as I always say, if you have not already done so, be sure to sign up for our newsletter at buildingoptimal.com. It's just a conglomeration from time to time of all of our episodes, blog posts, other things that should be of value to you and your business. Enjoy the episode. Okay, so um, Kirsten, you are the owner of Alma Homes out of Minneapolis, Minnesota, correct? I am. And... By the way, I've seen your your work like on your website and on your Instagram. You guys do beautiful work. I just want to start it off by having you tell us a little bit about your company, your role within the company, and then maybe a little bit about how you got started. Absolutely. So where do I start? Oh, goodness. <laughs> um, well, Alma Homes, I founded it about two years ago, a little over two years ago now. Um, I have been in the industry for a lot longer than that, but growing up, I always knew that owning my own company was definitely something that I wanted to do. I knew it would be in my future. Um, so I originally actually wanted to become an architect. I went to undergrad and grad school for architecture and then knowing I wanted to eventually pursue, you know, a business ownership position. I also got my MBA, but I graduated. I have two master's degrees. I have zero work experience. And I did not grow up in the trades. My dad is a financial advisor. My grandpa's a dentist. My other grandpa sells insurance. So I knew I had a lot to learn. Um, education only takes you so far. And so I took a job with a custom home builder, just knowing I needed to learn as much as I possibly can as fast as I possibly could. And I fell in love with it. I always thought I would go the more traditional architectural route, but once I got into the construction industry, I loved being a part of the entire process, not just the front end design part of it. So I knew, you know, starting Alma Homes would be in my future at some point. And it was just a matter of me sticking it out basically as long as I could while I continued to learn until I felt like I wasn't learning. So after working in the industry for probably, I don't know, six years, I think six years, I just knew I had maxed out at that point. I worked for two different um, custom home builders and I knew I just wasn't learning anymore. And so in my gut, I knew that was the time when, you know, I was meant to just do this, try this. I have to do it or I regret it. So I just did it. And as far as the company now and my role in it, I am the owner. Um, I do all the design. So I, I help clients through the whole planning process. I do all of their floor plans. Um, I help them through their selections. And then 
Um, Ethan, who works with me, he is our project manager, and he and I collectively do all of our estimating together, and then he oversees the actual construction. So he's on site, he's dealing with the subcontractors, and yeah, I could not do this without him. I don't know how he does his job. I think I would have a a panic attack every day. I have to deal with all of those moving parts every day. Being out in the field is a completely different animal. It is. I love getting out to the field, but man, some of those some of those situations can be stressful for sure. Yep. I completely agree. Well, I want to ask you something about uh, your unique perspective. Yeah. Because it seems to me that the relationship between the builder and the designer can be problematic and probably most easily explained by everyone's differing priorities. It absolutely can. <laughs> well, I've, I've seen it personally and then, and then from the outside looking in many times. And uh, I tend to think, though, that these issues are pretty avoidable. Mm-hmm. How do you think that builders and designers can better work together? This is such a hot topic for me. I have so <laughs> many opinions about this. Um, and I think, honestly, it all comes down to not understanding where the other person is coming from. And quite frankly, I feel like if I had never worked for that custom home builder, I probably would have a very different perspective too. But being in in that, um, I was in a design role. So I was a designer there, but I was involved in the entire construction process. So you learn so quickly, oh, if I spec this, this actually, you know, makes things not the easiest for the guys in the field. Whereas if I just spec a different product, everybody's life is easier. So the biggest thing I think, and if you're not in a situation where you do work in a design build firm and you're an independent designer or an independent builder, I think the best way you can learn to work together is A, know that everyone's not out to get you. You know, they they have their stance and they have their stance for a reason and try to understand where they're coming from. Because at the end of the day, you know, the builder has their own priorities because they have to think about schedule, they have to think about quality, they have to think about warranty and constructability, quite frankly. The designer, on the other hand, has to think about, you know, how does this look? How does this function? How does, you know, how the more obviously aesthetic, but also like usability, how does the client use it every day? And sometimes, as you know, those those things can be at odds with each other. So it's, I think before the project starts, everybody needs to come together and just kind of get your expectations on the table. And I think that that helps tremendously if you can actually do that and and just try to think of them as your ally, not your enemy. And I think that would that would help for sure, too. Yeah, so true. I had a few. Well, actually, I, I had one bad experience when I was first starting out in the industry and I was I was young and admittedly looking back on it, I'm sure I did everything wrong that I could have, but it was a, you know, it was an out of state interior designer, a very good one, by the way. And, Mm -hmm. um, I think that, uh, there's just so much friction in that project and needless friction. If I could go back and do it again, I think that I didn't do as good a job, um, interfacing probably in kind of a team based communication with her and the client. I think the client got stuck in the middle too much. Um, having to play, what do you call that game? Telephone or whatever, where you're, you know, multiple people. So, uh, that was probably one of the, one of the main issues. And I think also just not setting a, a collaborative plan up front was, uh, was another one kind of having that kickoff meeting with all of us. There's, um, there's a guy that I interviewed 
one of our first podcasts named Ed Earl, and I really like his approach. He's got this approach, and I don't think it's unique just to him, but it's called uh, collaborative construction. And basically, it's the idea that you know everybody is in the same boat, or everybody can you can at least build a boat to where everybody can be in the same boat and uh, and work from that angle versus this at odds and. That goes to the architect too. I mean, it's it's a yeah. it can become a weird dynamic where you've got builder, architect, designer, all of whom are kind of at odds, and then and then everybody ends up losing, not the least the the client. So, yeah, I think that's the most important part that everybody has to keep in mind. That at the end of the day, yes, as the designer, you might want to try to team up with the client, but if the client has a bad experience because you aren't communicating with builder that reflects poorly on you as well because the client is not having a good experience. And one other thing too, that I think um, I know a lot of contractors will do if they don't have designers in house is if you can just articulate your expectations on the front end, I know people that will do like a handout that they give to the designer and they'll say, this is your allowance for every single item. This is when I need it by. So just communicating, here's the scheduling expectations. Here's the pricing expectations give the designer what they need. And then as a designer, it is your job to follow those. Like do not pick stuff the day before it's being installed. Make sure you consider lead times, make sure you consider pricing. And I think if, as long as people are talking and being collaborative, as you said, I think that's the recipe for success. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, amen to clear timing and and budget expectations. (laughs) Okay. This is another question I'm dying to ask you. Um, so the selections process that Mm -hmm. can be especially messy for a customer and there are a lot of people involved. You've got showroom visits. If you don't have your own showroom, so a lot of small builders don't, you Mm -hmm. know, you, you've got outside designers, like we're talking about quite possibly. Um, the other issue that I, I see is that you don't have necessarily, um, immediately available pricing for clients when they are visiting showrooms sometimes. Mm-hmm. So you don't have that immediate feedback loop and they may be choosing things out of their budget. Anyway, I could keep going on. Yeah, um, I, I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have any general rules of practice that you think may help with the selections process to go more smoothly? I do. So the selections process can be a walk in the park or it can be a complete nightmare and it's all how you handle it. Um, we actually do all of our selections internally. So we do have a selection showroom. Our clients are not restricted to what we have in our showroom, but at least for us, it's a great place to start. I can bring in more product if we need to. And I just find it expedites things and it makes the process so much more clear, efficient. I love it. I could never go back after doing this. Actually, when I started the business, we didn't have the showroom at first. And I was, I was taking clients to different showrooms. I was taking them to our fireplace vendor, our tile vendor. And my head was spinning, quite frankly. So within two months, I'm like, we need a showroom. And that's just how it's going to be. But I also understand that everyone does not have that luxury. So I think there's um, a lot that you can do to make sure those expectations are clear. Again, I would say for everything that your client is going to have to select, I think at the front end, tell them what their square foot allowance is or tell them, you know, some sort of allowance. So when they go in, they have some general idea, at least to try to stay in their budget. Also give them a list of vendors that you approve or um, even if you have contacts there. I mean, a lot of us will have tile reps. So maybe you can send them 
to one specific rep that you always work with. And that can help to expedite things as opposed to them going to a different person who doesn't understand your process or, or whatnot. So I think the more information, again, that you can give them and kind of consolidate things. So give them steps, say, the first place I want you to go is you need to select your windows because those have longer lead time. So if you can just kind of break things down for them and, and say, here's your windows, I need this first, I need to buy this date, and this is the showroom you go to, just give them as much information and that will help to expedite things if you don't have if you don't have your own showroom or your own selection process internally. And the same thing for the designers then. The designers can use that and take clients to those showrooms and it's just an extra tool for people to help navigate it more clearly. Can I ask what sort of things you have in your showroom? I mean, obviously you don't have yeah. like a bunch of appliances, I assume. So like what things do you have and what things do you still use outside showrooms for? Yep. So in our showroom, we have all exterior samples. Um, so our siding, our roofing, stone, anything we would use on the exterior decking. Um, we have a lot of interior finishes. So we have hardwood floors, carpet, tile, countertops. Um, the things that we use outside showrooms for is we do work with one appliance vendor and one appliance rep at that company. And we always send our clients there to do their selections. She's fantastic. Um, we worked with her for a long time. So we've gotten to a point where we feel comfortable. We don't even have to go with, you know, we'll spec you need a 48 inch fridge here, or you're going to do a 60 inch range there. So they know, you know, what size appliance to look for and we'll give them a budget. But then from there, they'll take our clients and they'll ha handle that for us. So appliances are honestly one of the only ones, um, fireplaces, plumbing fixtures. We do all of that online, quite frankly. Um, we find we can do so much online. Like there's so many great resources. And then if a client does feel like they need to go touch and feel, then we will go to those showrooms or they'll go to those showrooms too. But for the most part, I would say one in 15 clients actually wants to go see it just because there are such great resources online now. So that's, that's really nice. I would say utilize online, you know, tools and whatnot as much as you can, because that, that can really help to expedite things too. Yeah. And then I guess the last thing too would be, um, we do a lot of quartz countertops and with that, you don't have as much variation. And so it's easier to make selections off of a smaller sample. Um, but if you're doing marble or granite or something with a lot of movement, then we will, you know, go look at the actual slabs and whatnot. So you'll go out to a stone yard. Yep. Okay. With your unique perspective on the, on, well, on both the design and the build side, mm -hmm. I'm sure you have some, you found some, uh, of those rare things that cost the same or even less and actually look better than the alternative. Yeah. Any of those gems that you can share with the rest of us that might help us add value to our projects? Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of it, quite frankly, has to do with the brands more than a specific material. Um, like I said, we do a ton of quartz countertops and it still blows my mind to this day how different the pricing can be from one vendor to the next, or even within the same vendor, but just with different colors. So I would, I always encourage clients, you know, at this point we've kind of figured out, you know, which ones are priced better. And it also depends kind of on your, your fabricator and their buying power, but no, just because you love this pattern, there may be a different brand that will have a very, very similar look or style that could be quite frankly, half the cost. So don't be afraid to explore different brands 
I think that in and of itself is probably my number one. And then from there, that's a tough question. That's a really <laughs> good question. Um, I mean, we personally are huge fans of engineered wood. Um, right now, our clients just they they still love that European oak wire brushed finish, mm-hmm. and we love to do engineered as opposed to site finished because it saves a lot of money. But we're also in Minnesota, and we don't have the greatest of climates because we have freezing cold winters and then super humid summers. So wood in our in our homes it fluctuates a lot with humidity changes. So for us, the engineered is great because it gives it some more stability and and whatnot. But it's also at a price point too. So I think, I don't know, I don't have any like stellar gems, but I would say the biggest things are just check brands, quite frankly, you know, go between different brands and you can usually find some, Yeah. go look for less, if you will. Well, I asked this to Joanna and I actually want to ask the same to you. And that is, you know, I think that there are certain parts of the home where brand matters more than others and, and the easy example are appliances you know people are always going to look at the brand of appliances and then on the other side this is just my opinion Mm -hmm. on the other side if you're going to be doing a house with you know fiber cement siding hardy's kind of become that kleenex where like you know they say hardy siding but that's just the brand but truth be told like at least here in texas on the mls you you say you know fiber cement siding and mm-hmm. you probably should explain that on the specs as well. And mm-hmm. I tend to think that it, you could go put a very similar looking siding up. We do mm-hmm. use Hardy, but yep. uh, I am looking right now at, at looking at another comparable manufacturer. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't think that anybody would ever say, oh, wait, this is uh, not Hardy. So therefore, I feel like there's some sort of diminished value in the home. Like, in other words, I don't think from a consumer's perspective that mm-hmm. they they know and care about things like appliances. Mm-hmm. So put that into the bucket they care about, but there is going to be a bucket also of things that they don't know that much about or care right. that much about. And I would put Hardy or, you know, just as an example, your siding mm-hmm. in there. Um, again, just my opinion. So I guess w- the reason why I'm going through this long winded example is I'm curious <laughs> if you've got any other, the bucket that's really interesting to explore is the one where maybe we as builders might care about the brands and think a lot about the brands, yeah. but then confuse our expertise for something mm-hmm. that people who aren't in the industry care about. Does that, does that make sense Absolutely. at all? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Do you have as anything builder, else? Yeah. I mean, as a builder, sometimes I look back and I'm like, man, I just really wish I had my perspective back from before I got into the industry because now you know what the best of the best is. And you're like, well, I don't want to use less than that. But in reality, yeah. it, it doesn't matter to so many people. Um, yeah, I think, I don't know if I want to name drop because they're, they're yeah. all great products, but yeah. I think countertops are a big one. Where we're from, there's definitely one name that stands out by far, but it's a lot more expensive. And I think you can oftentimes get the exact look or a very, very similar look for a fraction of the price. And the same thing with hardwood floors. There's certain people that, you know, they want a certain name, but most people honestly do not care. They care about the look, not about the name. Quite frankly, I feel like appliances are a hot topic because they are branded. The brand name is literally on the appliances. Um, You know, something like a Sub-Zero Wolf or 
you know, versus like Viking or Thermidor, you know, everybody kind of has their, their own perception of what's the best, so to speak. When in reality, they're all great. They all have their pluses. They all have their minuses. And, but I feel like appliances are more of a hot topic because they are branded and you can walk through a house and be like, Oh, they have sub zero where you can't walk through the house and be like, Oh, well, well, this floor is by, by urban floors or Hallmark or, you know, so yeah, I think if, if it's not branded, there's a lot more, a lot more wiggle room, so to speak, because people don't know they're not educated enough to say, who's the manufacturer of, you know, this floor or this carpet. And I would say, don't, don't be hung up on the brand name. Look more about the construction of it, the warranty, the quality. That's, that's what's, what matters more than anything. Yeah. I like the way you put it about what, what things do people care kind of about the substance of it, but not the, not the brand. Right. You think, I'm just curious, what about windows? Do you think people fixate on window brands or do you think that that's something where they just look at the general look and feel? That's a really good question. And I honestly don't know how to answer that. Um, being from Minnesota, we have two very big manu- window manufacturers that are produced in Minnesota. So I feel like we're probably a little bit more window brand loyal just because they are Minnesota made. Uh-huh. Um, but that being said, we have plenty of clients that come through that they don't care. So I feel like that's a very personal preference. I would say it's more of a 50 50 type thing. And I also think it has to do with the level and the quality of home that you are building. Because once you get into a certain price tier, I feel like people seem to have more opinions and they've done more research. And if you're in a lower end bracket, people are like a window's a window. I really don't care. So yeah. I think it depends more on pricing with windows. Yeah, that, that is that is a very good point. And as a gross generalization here in Austin, I would say that homes that typically somewhere are, are over a million to a million and a half start Mm -hmm. it's not so much the the home buyers but uh the realtors that operate in that price range become a lot more cognizant of of some of the details so again it's gross generalization but that's what we generally see i would agree too that i feel like the realtors are the ones that tend to drive the importance of the brand i feel like more than anything or i've noticed that a lot and i'm not saying it's a bad thing by any stretch of the imagination it's a selling feature for them so yeah. they'll definitely talk it up if it's if it's a good brand to use or or whatnot. But I think as builders, we definitely have stigmas though with windows. I think we probably have more stigma than clients do, quite frankly. Well, and and that's kind of the root of um of my question to you. I think that as builders, it's a really good healthy exercise for all of us to step back and start mm-hmm. thinking about what sort of like uh, biases have we developed in mm-hmm. our experience that may not necessarily translate into value for the buyers. Well, and I think another fair point too is, um, I think a lot of our, you know, the biases that we do have, they come because we may have had a bad experience or we've heard about product recalls, but then also those could be dated. Those could be issues from 10 years ago. So then, you know, being updated and staying current with what's actually going on. I think Windows is such a great example because there's certain brands where if you were to say their name, I would be like, we'll never use them in a million years. But on the flip side, that's just because I've heard horror stories and they could be great today. And we just put with, we stick with what's tried and true for us because at the end of the day, like Windows is a huge issue and we don't want to have warranty issues when it comes to your windows. So 
there are all kinds of urban legends revolving yeah. around windows. <laughs> we see that ourselves as well. Yeah, we do. <laughs> all right. This is a three-part question for you. So, okay. um, one, what are the design trends that you're seeing now? Okay. Two, what design trends are falling out of favor? And three, going the other way, what are the design trends you predict will be coming into style soon? So we can break that apart if that's too much to bite off in one chunk. But oh, I, I wanted right. to hear about all, all three. Absolutely. So design trends I am seeing right now, white oak is everywhere. Everybody oh, yeah. loves white oak. I don't know how much you guys have seen it. But we see it in everything from flooring to cabinetry to millwork to doors. Our clients and what we see online on Pinterest, on Instagram, cannot get enough of it. Um, so I would say that's like the number one design trend that we've been seeing for the past year, at least, at least a year. Yeah. We're also seeing a lot more colors. So some like the deep moody hues, like the navies, the emerald greens or the very dark greens, charcoals. That's another thing that we see coming in a lot. And I also just think those two combined, like the blend of color, but still feeling like it's a light and a bright space and then mixing in some natural wood elements. I feel like that is just very now, very current. And it's a fun, it's a fun sort of um, trend to play within for sure. Yeah. As far as what's falling out of favor, I feel like, I hope, I kind of hope that cookie cutter is falling out of favor. It seems like people are, they're branching out. They're trying to infuse their homes with more of their personality, which I love. Um, I also think that in some areas, the very, how do I say this the right way? More of like the, the rustic sheep burlap farmhouse that we saw for all of 2011, 2012, 2013. I think farmhouse is not falling out of favor, but it's, it's more in a contemporary way. It's more of like that modern farmhouse or the more of like the shabby chic farmhouse. I don't feel like is sticking around much anymore. Yeah. And as far as predictions for what's coming soon, I think it's just going to kind of continue to be this blend of styles. I feel like people are starting to infuse their own likes, their own tastes. I think things are trending more contemporary, but they still have traditional elements or farmhouse elements but I do think there's a lot more clean lines that are coming in, especially like mid-century influences. I don't know. It's hard to say like what the main trend will be that's coming. I think that we're just starting to kind of ride that that white oak and color train. So I think that will be here for a while. The white oak is, I think, sweeping, well, my yeah. part of the country as well. And, you know, just through like instagram and stuff you can see so much about what's happening in yeah. the states and then and then also throughout the world and it feels like it is a to some extent a worldwide phenomenon right now i see it, it everywhere the thing i mean it it does feel like it's it's a natural and neutral enough type design to where it's not going to be one of those things where 20 years from now you're walking through a house and you're like oh my god that's a 2019 white oak, like we got to rip out I all know. that white oak but I, I don't know what do you think i literally had that thought the other day i was driving to work and i was just like oh my gosh is white oak going to be the honey oak of 2019 <laughs> someday <laughs> i hope not because i love it but it's becoming so popular and so widespread that i mean i could <laughs> i don't want to say it will happen but 
Yeah. That's 30 years down the road too. So we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Yeah. I guess it's hard to predict what will. It is. It and, and then, and then all the things that are out of favor seem like they come back in favor one day. They definitely do. Um, I think another thing that we're going to see, I mean, we're starting to see obviously, but, um, is technology, just technology being incorporated in all the different facets of home design from, you know, appliances to just the smart homes and, it's been so cool to see, you know, the different ways in which they integrate it, which has been a lot of fun. I do think this is going off on a tangent, but I do think there's a lot of room for disruption in the intersection between design and construction. So think the the selections process, I would love to see somebody that comes out with a really useful technology, like a software that can Mm -hmm. help the builder and homeowner get a, you know, I don't know whether it would be like a, some sort of 3D software where you've got a, your library of stuff that can automatically populate and it could build. It'll happen one day, but uh, yeah, but we I need. Mean, they do have it. It's just, it's just a matter of time and resources. Quite frankly, I mean, we we utilize SketchUp a lot internally for 3D modeling, and I know a lot of companies will do different renderings through all sorts of different programs. And it's pretty cool now, too, with all of like the virtual reality. You can literally walk through a 3D model of your house. It's just the time and the resources that it takes to do it. So if it could be expedited, that would be fantastic. But it is pretty crazy how freakishly realistic some of the renderings can be sometimes. I mean, they're incredible. Yeah, well, hopefully whatever technology that is out there right now can continue to get developed and become a little more ubiquitous. Absolutely. Because I still see, I mean, I think the main... The main issue is the length of time that builders and clients have to invest in in it, which is a friction that I think could be solved with technology. And then and then also the long feedback loop that, you know, it just takes time sometimes with with different vendors and finishes to get that. You know, Absolutely. if you could get pricing on the spot, then you can mm-hmm. make more uh, quicker iterations, which just speeds up everything. You know what I mean? I totally agree. Anyway, that's a tangent. Um, I do want to mention, though, we were talking about Instagram and, and like trends where you yeah. are versus here. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're seeing this, but it seems like with social media and, and with now design being showcased in places like Instagram so much that maybe there is a little more fluidity between design trends um, from Minneapolis to Austin to New York to L.A. Definitely. Are you seeing the same thing? Absolutely. And I, it's, it's really cool. I, I appreciate it because I feel like traditionally the Midwest, Minnesota has always been a couple years behind the design trends. So I would sit there and be like, come on guys, like, let's get it together. Let's get on board. <laughs> um, where now it's everybody has Instagram in their phone and in their pocket. And so you're seeing everything throughout the U S and also the world, what's trending, what's current. Um, it's really fun, but it definitely has been a shift for sure because I remember my first year going to the Builders Show um, in Orlando. It was two years ago. And I was so excited. I wanted to go for so long. And it was fantastic. I mean, I've gone every year since then. But it was not at all what I thought it would be. I thought it would be this, like, just so eye-opening, so much inspiration, like, cutting-edge design. And, yes, there was there was cool product. There was great vendors. There was great networking. But I realized when I was there, I'm like, all of the cutting edge design is all in your phone right now. It's all at the, it's all at your fingertips. And it felt like the trade shows are now following social media as opposed to the trade shows driving that innovation. 
Now it's just like you go to the trade shows to see what are the new products, what are the new ways in which we can integrate these things. But it wasn't this source of, you know, design genius that I thought it would be. It was more so like I've seen all of this and yes, they executed it very well and I love these products, but it wasn't, you know, wow, that's the coolest trend. I've never seen that before. Mm, so right. it's crazy. It's crazy to see the shift, you know, how how everybody has access to like what's new, what's cutting edge immediately all the time, which is, it's fun. Yeah, well, Kirsten, this has been a blast talking to you. I really enjoyed getting your perspective on things. And before we go, I wanna make sure people know where to find you online. So can you fill us in? Yes, you can find us on Instagram at Alma Homes, um, or you can find us on our website at almahomesmn.com. Awesome. Well, Kirsten, you're doing amazing work. So keep it up and thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun.